Well, hello and welcome to episode number 421 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. We are back. And in this week's show, Ryanair sets a new record. One passenger takes a whiz after seeing their phone bill and another passenger eats a very expensive McMuffin. And in the military this week, the US Special Operations Command chooses a new armed Overwatch platform and a large portion of the world's fighter fleet is grounded. So joining me this week from a slightly cooler but uh, slightly more furbished uh, studio this week, uh, a la blind, is <laughs> yes, Matt indeed. Smith. Yes, hello everyone, welcome, welcome. Nice to be back, nice to be back. Uh, what did you do with your week? Oh, you were working, weren't you, for your, your week off? On my week off, well, yeah, I was well, yeah, the week off the show. Yeah. I mean, week off the show, yeah, I was working. Yeah, I've had uh, a busy um, last week was wedding, wedding on the Friday, wedding on the Saturday, and uh, the week before was also it's just parties everywhere. I'm catching up on the weddings that were booked in for 2019, <laughs> 2020 at the moment. I've so, had yeah, busy old yeah, time. It's all, all very busy. But Matt, can I just say, it's you, what have you done with the window? Um, well, I, I, I covered it up. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you, yeah. Uh, to, to, to those, Everyone is used to seeing a window, before. right? Okay, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, to those listening to the audio version of the show, we've got a green blind in here, which means it now disappears, if you like, uh, in terms of so the screen. So, yes, that's not very interesting for anyone else. <laughs> So no. apologies for that. <laughs> but uh, welcome back as well this week. He's uh, our European traveller on the show who's got more gold points than every gold mine in the world. It is, of course, Neville Bounds. Yes, I am back, pleased to say. And um, nice to be back as well. I was in Dublin this week for uh, three days, uh, flying out of London City Airport and back, which is a nice way of doing the travelling, I must say. Um, oh, really? mainly because BA haven't got anything out of Heathrow on short wall at the moment so okay, uh, right. <laughs> having to do uh, do battle with the M25 instead but uh, nonetheless a very good week but a busy one so uh, but yeah great to be back on the show though really please forgive, forgive my naivety here Nev is there a reason why you choose to drive rather than sort of you know train or or... Well, uh, with the early flight out oh, of, of City Airport, by the time I get on the train and do all yeah. of that business, um, I can't actually get there in time. I mean, there's no lounge at City Airport. What? But it doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really need one because it's just such a small and convenient airport. Right. I must say, in the, in the boarding time and the um, you know departure and arrival is all very straightforward and, and very quick. So that's, that saves a lot of time in itself. Indeed, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, yeah. off topic there. Hmm. <laughs> I have got a few questions about London City, but we'll cover that in a, in a little oh, while on the okay. news, Nev. Um, yes. But he's back. I am so happy to say he's back, as we all are as a team, uh, as he's been missing for quite a while, and we have blinking well missed him. It is, of course, the excellent man that is, well, he's he's signed off on more aircraft than we can possibly <laughs> take a stick at. It is, of course, Armando. Good evening, gentlemen. Um, <laughs> hello. Uh, Pilot Pip, <laughs> who is uh, basically an inspector, uh, right? Okay. Scotland Yard inspector, has noticed that there is something on my face. Well, you know, now I'm a, a dirty contractor jet pilot, so I had to have I had to have this issued to me. Um, it's I think it's a more professional look. Thank you very much. 
Absolutely. Armando, you can do whatever the heck you like. We're we're just terribly jealous. That's what it, that's what it is. It's like uh, there's not many you're... there's not many people who could do that and pull that off, I think. That's the... uh, well, that's debatable if I'm pulling it off or not. Okay. So uh <laughs> okay. It did start out as a joke. If you're listening to the audio version of this, well, I just you know, there's no need. You're not missing anything. But um <laughs> Ooh, Yeah, it started out as a joke and, and then everybody just said, you know, it's not terrible. So, oh, by the way, we're talking about a mustache if you're listening to the audio version. <laughs> so you're not yeah. saying, oh, look at that. You're not, you're not I saying have a to bleach it blonde. <laughs> I, have an, I have an endorsement from Podcast Royalty. The APG show is in the chat room, and they've just said, only real pilots have mustaches. Good point. Well made. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's it. We're all good. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, but uh, yeah, the 30-second version, as you guys know, I've been in uh, training for the last three weeks on the Hawker. Uh, I can see why Pip loved that airplane. It is an awesome, awesome airplane to fly. And I actually had, you know, what, three weeks of simulator training and then jumped, had no break, jumped right into the airplane. As soon as I got qualified, jumped right into the left seat, which was uh, pretty cool of my operator. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Other than uh, more to come later, but we're buying an airplane. Megan and I are buying a. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're buying a little Super Cub. It's the... uh, it's the opposite of a jet. We realized, you know what? What we want to do is is go low and slow, and and she got hooked and is working on her private pilot certificate now. So, oh wow! Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, she re- really has got the bug for it then. Uh, a steerman flight or two. She did a, a introduction flight, and then she did an aerobatic flight in a steerman. So open cockpit with a parachute, the whole deal. After that, she said as soon as she felt, this is very idyllic, but as soon as she felt the wind in her hair and and got to see, for in our case, Lake Norman from the air at 1,000 feet, just going 80 miles per hour, she said, yeah. let's do it. Let's buy something that goes uh, low and slow, and we can fly with the windows open. So uh, we're buying a Cub. Wow. Love uh, that. Pip, Pip's asking a question in the chat room, Armando. Which variant are you flying? Uh, 850 XP, and I also got a differences trained into the 900 XP, which is, as you know, you know, just a, a few things here and there. But uh, yeah, 850 XP is my primary, and it's also my primary uh, job now. It's same owner as the Pilatus, just uh, he. Oh, they also own a jet. Uh, they actually own two Hawkers, so they they're basically just moving me over to to the jet, and I'll still fly the Pilatus. Yeah. Love it. Oh. Oh, I feel I feel no. all emotional. <laughs> I know, I know. We'll we'll pause on that for a moment. Nev, um, we've got uh, a little bit of uh, stuff to talk about on our just weekly roundup and some news for this week, haven't we? Yeah, we had some very sad news yesterday uh, from Kirsty McDonald. Kirsty is the wife of Ivor McDonald, and it's great with great sadness we've got to let you all know of his passing. Um, He was a big part of our chat room community and the aviation podcast family. Uh, Very sadly, Ivor passed away suddenly last Saturday and all of us here at Plain Talking UK podcast send all of our condolences and thoughts to his wife, Kirsty, and the family. And uh, it was a big shock and he'll be sadly missed. Um, And the last time I saw Ivor was in February of this year. Uh, His wife and he were going off to um, uh, Portugal uh, for the week. And this is uh, them with me at... uh, 
FBA lounge at Terminal 5 and then previously we met up at the RAF Museum at Hendon when uh, Nick Anderson and co uh, were out there doing a uh, an uh, airline pilot guy visit mm. so very sad news uh, I'm very sorry to hear it um, and um, just so grateful for his sense of humour and all the contributors uh, all the contributions that he made yeah. to the podcast so um just i thought i would share that with you if you hadn't already heard indeed it. uh the the thing that i'm loving the most about that particular picture by the way nev is there's a is there's proper uh ptuk lifestyle there with two two good co- you know good coffees and some, and a bacon sandwich that's that's how things should be done shouldn't it that's all you need really, isn't it <laughs> absolutely yeah. Uh, yeah he'll be sadly missed from the chat room that's for sure he will certainly absolutely yeah. Now, Nev, you've also got uh, some news this week, haven't you, on uh, an update to that wonderful thing that we have here in the UK called a tax. I mean, just in case there wasn't enough, um, you know, cost of living crisis and everything going up in price, um, air passenger duty. Um, The government have just announced new rates for the air passenger duty rates. Uh, for the tax year 23 to 24, which starts from April 2023. Um, uh, Well, let's talk about what APD is. It's an excise duty which is charged on the carriage of passengers flying from a United Kingdom or Isle of Man airport on an aircraft that has an authorised takeoff weight of more than 5.7 tonnes or more than 20 seats for passengers. And these are divided into what they call a domestic band, band A, band B and band C. But just to give you an idea of where this is at the moment, um, the um, band, the, the domestic band, so that's basic travelling within the country. Um, the, on the lowest class of travel is £6.50. Standard class is £13. And it goes right up to band C. So if you're going over 5,500 nautical miles, the reduced rate is £91, but the standard rate is £200. So even if you've got um, frequent flyer air miles, you've got some free flights and that kind of thing, obviously you're still paying the, uh, the air passenger duty. And it's really becoming very prohibitive, I would say, as well. Um, and, of course, if you're in a, um, a higher class of travel as well, then you're paying a lot more. It's a huge amount. Um, so, yeah, just another, another tax just in case yeah. you didn't have enough of it. Um, so I think it's uh, awful, really. Really, really shocking. Um, and th- this stuff just only goes one way, doesn't it? It, it never goes down. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. Yeah, it certainly doesn't go the other way, does it? As you say, no. it's like once it's there, that's it. It's no. We're stuck with right, it. Right when, right when everyone wants to get back flying and going on holiday and travelling to see friends and family again, they then get stuck with this on top of an already... Mm inflated um ticket costs but there we go yeah uh let's have a look at the chat room and let's say hello to everyone in the chat room this evening loads of the family in there tonight uh good to see you all in there lee davies hello to you uh richard adams hobby time is also in there uh we have got mazus hello to mazus we're going to be seeing uh mazus next uh next week aren't we actually is it next week Probably, yes. If you say so. I haven't looked at my calendar. Yes. (laughs) I haven't looked that far Uh, yet. Tony S is also in the chat room. Pilot Logan Lynch, hello to you. Uh, Squawking7700. Blimey, I've seen a few of those pop up on my phone this week, notifications. Uh, And we have also got Captain Ridiculous Wits. 
also to keep the uh, humour up in the chat room. Uh, Pips also in the chat room, Plane Safety Podcast. Dirk S, hello to you, Dirk. Our main man, Micah, is uh, keeping an eye on things with the blue spanner of Doom. Uh, so thanks for that, Micah. And uh, just make sure I don't miss anyone else. APG show obviously is in there. Richard Adams is in there as well tonight. Welcome to everyone. Oh, and Neil Lamborn as well is also joined us in there this evening. Hello to you, Neil. Uh, good to see everyone in there. Don't forget, if you are listening to our dulcet tones through an audio podcast and you want to see what we look like on the uh, in full HD on the screen on YouTube, uh, check us out on YouTube. Just search for us, Plain Talking UK. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button and the bell icon next door uh, to be notified when Matt is hitting that live button <laughs> in the studio on a Friday night at 7 o'clock. Indeed. So we've got loads to get through on the show this week. Also, we are going to give you one more chance uh, with the questions for our competition later on uh, to win one of those uh, tags, the military tag and the commercial uh, aircraft tag we've got to give away in our competition. So stay tuned for that. But first, it's commercial news time. So if all the team is ready, yeah, we let's are. go. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. Kicking off this week's first news story, then, it is all about Southampton Airport. And this one comes to us from bbc.co.uk. And uh, Southampton Airport here in the UK uh, have had their runway expansion uh, approved and it's going to go ahead. The Court of Appeal up, uh, upheld Eastley Borough's Council decision to approve plans for the expansion of Southampton Airport's runway by 164 metres or 538 feet. Now, the scheme was approved in April 2021, but campaigners claim permission was unlawfully granted. They called for a judicial review, but their latest attempt has failed. This marks the end of the legal challenge routes that could possibly be pursued against the plans campaigners confirmed. And the group opposed to the expansion of Southampton Airport, uh, who are known as GOSA, Golf Oscar Echo Sierra Alpha, uh, Limited had a claim for judicial review dismissed last October, but an appeal against that was accepted in December. In a statement, Southampton Airport said, as a result, there can be no further challenge to the legality of the Borough Council's decision on our runway extension. And Southampton Airport can begin a plan to deliver the scheme. The airport previously said its existing runway was one of the shortest in the UK and inhibited the use of larger aircraft such as the A320 and the Boeing 737. It said uh, the runway expansion would protect jobs generate an extra £240 million for the local economy by 2037. But campaigners objected on the grounds of climate change and noise after planning documents revealed that the number of people affected by noise would go from 11,450 in 2020 to 46,050 in 2020 or 2033 if the expansion went ahead. The airport has pledged to mitigate the concerns raised. 
So, as a bit of info, Southampton uh, Airport's runway is 1,723 metres long and 37 metres wide. Uh, looking at the performance chart figures for the Boeing 737-800, uh, this needs, uh, with a takeoff weight of £140,000, it requires 1,510 metres uh, to take off. Uh, the A320 uh, requires around 1,700 metres at the same weight, but these weights and these ty- um, these actually do depend uh, quite heavily on weather conditions at the time. But, yeah, Armando, what are your thoughts on this? Because obviously you've, um, you know, you've been training a lot on stuff like, uh, you know, performance figures and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And th- and there's uh, a lot of variables in this too, with the weight of the airplane, the takeoff flap setting, uh, how many passengers you have, how much fuel, where are you going? Um, so uh, this kind of, you, you know, it's... Uh, Especially, I, I think I've learned over the years that over there in Europe, it's a lot more difficult, and I think rightly so because you, your your land is so much more precious over there, from what I understand. Right? I mean, sometimes the land the land is incredibly difficult to come by. Um, but in addition to just the runway length, if you extend the runway length, you also need to extend the safety zone, and then the approach lights and then the antennas that go along with that. So it's not as simple as just extending the runway 538 feet. So 538 feet is, is probably going to equate to, you know, an exponential number from that. And, and that can be a little bit difficult. Now the carriers know this and they'll, they'll plan appropriately. You know, they'll know that they can only book so many seats uh, on this airplane for weight and balances purposes um and then for performance purposes so um there's a lot there's a lot more that goes into it um you know the the media is the media but um then just hey here's the published performance numbers for a 737 or an a320 have you um flown into southampton before nev or um I can't remember. Do you know, I don't think I ever have. Um, well, the only thing I do remember about Southampton was a business jet went off the end of the runway um, and uh, went across the A20 or the M27 um, some time ago, a um, long time ago now, actually, uh, landing with a tailwind too far down the runway. So that's a, a bit of a fail anyway. But um, no, from a commercial uh, point of view, uh, I'm, I'm glad that this is finally going through because it's been years, it's been years and years and years having a problem and just not having enough runway length to take sensible uh, levels of passengers and, and fuel load uh, off the deck. So that's um, no, good good news. That means they'll be able to operate uh, more charter flights from there, perhaps some more uh, domestic services as well. So yeah, I think it's a, a good thing. I suppose on a safety point as well, Nev, this, if this does get extended, it also offers a, an extra airport to land in case of emergency for... Uh, that's true. I mean, there's Bournemouth, Hearn uh, Airport just down the road as well. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, Southampton's got actually very good facilities. I know a lot of people, a lot of my colleagues actually, uh, live around that area and they're all fed up with having to trape around to Gatwick or to Heathrow to get anywhere. So with a more local airport, I think that's going to be a, a very, very good thing. What do you guys What do you guys think about... I mean, there's also some advancements coming in regional transport aircraft. So the, you know, the Bombardier Q400, Q800 still has some life left in it. The uh, Embraer 195, right? That's perfectly capable mm. of, 
of flying in and out of this airport. So do do you think there's a market for us, you know, 737s or can you just have more destinations served with um, the larger regional jets like you flew into city? Yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting the amount of range you can get even off a short runway with those Embraer 190s. Um, I noticed those destinations, you know, Ibiza, Madrid, you know, so 98 passengers and luggage to that sort of destination off a very short runway at London City Airport um, is great. So I still think there's scope for the regional stuff as well. But I think Southampton probably would want to say that we can go quite a lot further um, because we've got more runway capacity so we can, they can start doing more flights down to you know Portugal and uh, mm. the north part of Africa and, and places like that Actually Tony S has just sent the chat room, he says I think Southampton will have a lot of potential especially if the low cost carriers move in Yeah, certainly yeah. Well, and, and Pip in the chat room is also saying the, holi the holiday charter market will like it uh, the Jet 2s and 2s of the world yeah. That's that. you know that's just something I'm not incredibly familiar with that that's not a thing that exists here in the in the u.s we don't have these um sort of all-inclusive book a whole trip um you know charter things not not at that level of 737s and things like that yeah it's, it's, i've only ever seen it over business there. big business for jet two jet two are very very busy with their package deals that involve the flights and the hotel all in one <laughs> yeah so matt You've got the next story, and, um, well, you love your vinyl, and uh, <laughs> Ryanair have set a new record. Oh, have they? Right, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough, if you say so. Uh, it's uh, it's it Literally, it says it's set a new passenger record. Uh, this is from the irishtimes.com, and uh, the story goes, Ryanair flew almost 17 million passengers in July, the highest ever number that it has carried in a single month. The Irish carrier said on Wednesday that 16.8 million people flew with it in July, 13.5% more than the 14.8 million uh, travellers it carried during the same month in 2019. The total was a new monthly high for the airline, beating its previous record of 14.9 million set in August three years ago before Covid curbs wreaked havoc with air travel. Uh, Ryanair's figures show that it sold 96% of the seats on its aircraft last month, which is slightly below the 97% recorded during the uh, summer months of 2019. Uh, Michael O'Leary, chief executive of Ryanair Holdings, confirmed last week that the group hopes to fly 165 million passengers in its current financial year, which ends on the 31st of March. However, it cautioned that it would depend on a fresh COVID wave or a possible escalation of the war in Ukraine, not hitting a still fragile recovery in the air travel over coming months. Ryanair has flown more than 62 million people since the start of April. Uh, the airline is offering 15% more seats on its planes than in 2019 over the summer, but may trim this back to closer to 10% over the winter. Just 9.3 million people flew with Ryanair in July last year when the EU formally launched its digital COVID certificate, which uh, enabled most uh, member states to reopen for 
more travel. The airline sold 80% of its seats that month. Air travel regards 2019 as the last normal benchmark year as pandemic restrictions either grounded or limited flying in 2020 and 2021. Many airlines are cutting capacity in the face of high fuel costs and bottlenecks across Europe's airports. Mr O'Leary suggested last week that these trends could result in a general upswing in ticket prices over the coming months. I mean, that just sounds like an excuse to put the prices up, if I'm honest with you. But um, 17 million passengers in one month. Yeah, Hmm. it's a big number, isn't it? It is a really big number, uh, as I say, and, it, and it's le- and it's levels that we're we're that we were sort of at, like you know, it's literally sort of you know bigger than post COVID levels, which is a you know a real sign, really. Perhaps you know that that it is getting quite strong. The old um, the old aviation uh, world again. Must, must, say, uh, if they could just sort out the problems at the airport, we might be uh, back to normal. Can you see uh, Neil's comment, Matt? in the uh, chat room I can't, coming no, in. But, uh, uh, Neil says uh, he says 16.8 million all on one plane possibly yes yeah <laughs> yeah well you know he he was keen for like standing room only wasn't he and things like that so <laughs> no it, it does show that things are getting back to some sort of normality even with the uh, issues that we're obviously having in the UK with um, airport and and staffing and stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, I'm actually on that note. Did anyone see that dispatches uh, serial episode that was on telly um, this or this week? No, I didn't. No. All about the uh, it, the is- issues with the airports. So it was actually focused mainly on Manchester Airport. It was uh, you know dispatches do that um, documentary uh, program. Mm. Very interesting, I will say. It was very interesting just to uh, to see. I think it was Channel 4. I think it was Channel 4 yeah, who showed that. But, yes. Uh, yeah. Right, yeah. But, yes, very interesting indeed. Uh, Nev, you have got uh, the next story, and obviously it's uh, it's all about BA with this one. Yes, and just as we were saying how things are getting back to normal, of course, it's not quite normal because things are now going wrong with um, c- capacity at airports and that kind of thing. And it's on the telegraph.co.uk. It says British Airways is about to pause sales of long haul flights to destinations such as New York as the airlines uh, airline battles disruption at Heathrow. Uh, the carrier has already suspended ticket sales for short haul flights from the country's biggest airport for at least a week in response to a cap on daily passenger numbers. Uh, but a spokesman confirmed that BA cannot rule out disruption to long haul routes out of Heathrow either whilst the cap remains in place. It could put push prices higher and means traveling uh, travelers trying to book last minute journeys to further afield destinations such as new york dubai or singapore may be unable to find seats uh, and budget rival ryanair on wednesday suggested it was well positioned to capitalize on the turmoil uh, eddie wilson the chief executive officer of the carrier's main unit uh, claimed other airlines had been complacent about hiring enough staff for the summer uh, the time to hire for this summer was last october he told bloomberg this isn't like running a warehouse where you can just get people they've got to be part of a training process heathrow announced last month that a maximum of 100,000 people per day would be allowed to fly until september the 11th it follows a similar move by gatwick to limit the number of flights that could 
can operate following chaotic scenes at British, uh, Britain's busiest airports this summer, with large numbers of passengers subjected to hours-long queue times, missing or late baggage and last-minute cancellations. Well... I can confirm that is the case because I've been part of that. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's not a lot of fun, that's for sure, at the moment. Um, I think things have been a little bit better over the last um, week or so, but there's still you know a lot of room for improvement. And coming out of Dublin, it was an hour going through security um, wow. this, this week. Um, so, yeah, there's just getting people back to work and obviously getting through the training process adding and getting them airside passes is taking a while um, so and actually one of the things they, they show in this program the other day nev was um was you know when you're waiting for your baggage at the carousel at the airport and they actually had uh, cat like hidden cameras and they were there was passengers trying to climb through the um you know where the belts come through from the, oh, from the wow. actual bag yeah passengers trying to climb through and actually people were actually offering to go in there and help staff to get mm. the suitcases onto the belts yes uh, another top tip from your uncle nev here uh, <laughs> don't do that because that is considered airside yes. and you are going to be in a whole lot of trouble if you try that oh do, do you guys do you guys remember the video of, uh, of the russian that tried to do that He's he. I think he was a little inebriated, but he he went through the little curtains and went into the back and ended up going down a chute, and his backpack got caught on one of the oh on one God. of the slide intersections. <laughs> I think we played that on the show. Yeah. Oh, you know, Nev, I was going to ask. You, I do actually listen to the show when I'm when I'm not around um, because I think it's the best podcast out there. But um, <laughs> I was I was saddened to hear of your luggage woes. Um, is it August? August is a busy vacation month over there. Is, is there any hope? Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think, I mean, with all the flying I've done over many, many years, this is only the third time they've, uh, or I've been mishandled, as, as they say. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think that the... The problem is, I mean, this is why I bought the Apple AirTags now. So actually, at least I do know roughly where the, the things are going to be. But to be fair to the airline, you know, I got my um, the, the additional things I had to buy refunded. Um, and, you know, th these things happen. But it's just between, well, halfway through July and the start of September is the school holidays. That's going to be the big, biggest, busiest time anyway. So. Mm there's always the opportunity for things to go wrong. Um, but um, no, I mean, it was um, pretty inconvenient, but it wasn't, you know, it was hardly the end of the world, I've got to say. Yeah. So we, have you, you had a chance to use the air tags yet, Nev? Uh, no, I haven't, because I've decided I'm going to carry things hand like a journey, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not taking a chance. Um, but I might be doing something in a month or so's time where I will have to check in some baggage. So I might, uh, I'll try oh, okay. it then, see how I get on. Mm. So, Armando, you've got the next uh, story, and uh, this one has, has actually got a good piece of uh, video with it. I'd, I'd love to hear your comments uh, on this, uh, Armando. My goodness, it's a terrifying piece of video that Matt's going to play out here in a second. But as you guys know, uh, the airport environment, there's all kinds of different tugs out there. There's tugs that uh, scoop up. They have the you know electro tugs that can scoop up the front wheel of a smaller airplane. They have now these, these bigger tugs that can scoop up the front wheel with just a couple clamps of of uh, a big airplane like a 787 or something like that. But then the traditional style tug has the tow bar attached 
to the tug. So you've got a couple different pivot points. Matt's going to play out the video here in a second. But I, I have driven tugs and they are a tricky maneuver. This particular tug was in LaGuardia uh, Airport to own an American Airlines 737-800. It, it, I, I don't know, you know, it's all, these security cameras are always hard to determine if it's if it's real time or not. But the way, when I saw it, it was going incredibly fast, and this tug, this tug driver was pulling this aircraft. He was he was making a a sharp oh my gosh. right hand turn, and the airplane, which weighs ninety one thousand pounds at the time, according to the to the airline, um, it it's in that turn. The momentum of the airplane uh, started driving the tug. It it twisted that tow bar and almost immediately uh it just broke and and but it was still hooked and as the plane was turning with its momentum the the nose wheel had already turned 90 degrees to the right and the tug ended up underneath the aircraft um so the the drive from which this story is is from they reached out to american airlines to confirm the incident and check on the tug driver which i'm sure had an emotional event there at for a second the uh, airport official stated that there were, quote, no reported injuries to team members, but as a precautionary member, one team member was transported to a local hospital for further evaluation. Now, you can see that in, in the video that the driver was was pinned in the cab of of this tug, which has got to be incredibly scary. Um, they, <laughs> maybe they had really good reflexes to, to kind of duck. Yeah, Matt has the pictures up there. I mean... That is that is seriously an emotional event that that is <laughs> when you see this airplane and once it starts going like so many things in, in aviation you're just along for the ride uh, he must have, he or she must have known that that this was going to turn out not well for for them and the airplane or anything like that but um, apparently the, the American Airlines said that the airplane was empty at the time it was being moved from a hangar to a gate. Um, obviously the, you know, the plane was damaged. The tug was damaged. It was swapped out for another airplane and, the, <laughs> they did tow this airplane back to the hangar for inspections and, and repairs. And, you know, as you can imagine, American airlines is going to determine what, it, what exactly happened here. Now, one of the things that I'm not entirely sure on, and, and actually I wish Al was in the chat room, maybe, maybe Pip can answer this, but I thought it was required for someone to be on the airplane guarding the brakes when it was under tow. Um, it's perhaps that's, that's not a requirement. I'm, I'm not really sure about the, the 121 world, but uh, man, <laughs> after this, I bet you that probably will have somebody riding the brakes up top. I was going to say, I thought you'd have someone at least on the flight deck with the, with the tow, you know, the foot brake, you know, tow brakes. Um, or even with the hand on the um, on the you know the you know the. the I presume that yeah. you'd have to have the hydraulics pressurized and the APU running in order to get brake pressure. Pressure, I suppose. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, there's that. There's auxiliary systems. I'm you know I'm not sure about and and emergency brake systems. I I am not familiar enough with the 737's hydraulic system to know if they have. But even but even you know the maintenance personnel that are moving these aircraft should be trained on how to start up the APU and 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 however it is get some hydraulic pressure to those brakes. You're you're completely correct, Nev. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely think the tug was right off anyway. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm amazed by the picture, the way that guy <laughs> was pinned pinned in that cab. I mean, 
Jeez. Squawk King 7700 says a little tape will fix everything. Well, that uh, is true. Speed tape. It's, it's amazing what you could do with gaffer tape, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Dave Abbey actually just said uh, in the chat room, or did it happen so quickly that someone in the cockpit uh, didn't know there was a tow break? So, yeah. Could have been, yeah. It, the first time I saw the video, I don't know if it was full speed or not, but it <laughs> it happened real, real fast. Yeah. Mm. Wow. That's, wow. I mean, I, I'm I'm more astounded when you know I've watched that video loads of times now while we while we've been we're doing this, obviously loading it up and stuff like that. The thing that's blowing my mind is that uh, nobody was hurt. That's the yeah. thing that is is melting my mind. I mean, that's incredible, <laughs> absolutely astounding. And that is you're mm. very true, Matt. Very true. Uh, moving on to the next story. And uh, good news, if you live here in the UK and you want to travel to Dubai and you don't want to have to travel 4,000 miles to Heathrow or Gatwick because uh, on the bishopstortfordindependent.co.uk, this is Emirates are returning to Stansted Airport with daily long-haul services to Dubai. So Emirates have returned to Stansted Airport this week with a daily long-haul service to Dubai. The flight on Monday, the August the 1st, was the first by the flag carrier from the Uttlesford hub since March 2020, when COVID-19 paralysed the travel industry. Since restrictions eased, many airlines and airports have struggled to cope with the summer demand for holidaymakers. And last month, Emirates rejected entirely unreasonable and unacceptable calls from Heathrow airport bosses to, to curtail ticket sales to manage passenger numbers. And we covered that on a previous show. But in an exclusive interview with the Indy this week, and on August the 2nd, Richard Dewsbury, Divisional Vice President in the UK, was confident the carrier and Stansted could deliver the new timetable initially. Uh, initially, Emirates plan five departures a week from Stansted, but flights will operate daily using a 777-300ER, offering passengers a choice between first business class and economy fares. With the inbound flight EK65 arriving at Stansted at 1.30pm, and the outbound flight leaving at 9.10pm, Mr. Drewsbury said. We have a very strong working relationship with Stansted and Manchester Airports Group, and we have planned the return to Stansted carefully. He said, I'm confident that we have a good, stable operation, and the service proved to be extremely popular following its launch back in 2018. So Emirates' timely return is a huge boost to passengers in London and the east of England, yay, offering not only a vital link between the two destinations, but right across the globe, thanks to airlines' worldwide route network available via Dubai. So I had a quick look last night while I was putting the show notes together to see what it will cost you to go out to Dubai from Stansted or London Stansted uh, in October. Obviously, it's off peak, so it's going to be a bit cheaper. But flying out of uh, Stansted in October for a return flight for two people uh, is going to cost you 1178 quid, which is not too bad, I will say. Uh, if you want to go in business class for two people, that's going to set you back uh, just over five and a half thousand pounds. And if you want to travel in Nev class or first class with Emirates, uh, return flights from Stansted to Dubai will cost you a cool fifteen thousand eight hundred and forty-two pounds. Wow! 
I mean, I, I mean, I sp- oh no, I was gonna say on the plus side, you can have a, a shower, but that's only on three eighty, isn't it? Actually, yeah, I think is, it was yeah. the it was the the. the, now, the... Funnily enough, back in twenty eighteen, when this when this service was launched, a certain uh, wife of mine, who's uh, not far from me now, actually used this service from Stansted with Emirates, and uh, was was really good. It's it's a it, it it is a damn good service, I will say. Having that um, link to Dubai so close to uh, where, especially where me and Matt live here, yeah. in East England, and the flight, flight. I mean, the flight prices. To be fair, you know, in economy, which we all know, Emirates economy isn't shabby. It's it's one of the best economy services out there. Right. You know, just over a thousand quid return for two people to Dubai. It's not bad. What do you really? think, Really? Yeah, I think that's a, a good price. Certainly, if you uh, live in that part of the country as well as you guys do, mm. that'll be a very convenient service. And uh, yeah, pricing's uh, pretty reasonable, I would say. Uh, I mean, first, Nev, no. Uh, well, there, that, there's a bit hot, I think. Yeah, a bit hot, yeah, that's the, uh, yeah. That's the one. But, I mean, knowing Emirates, it'll be a great experience. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. but... Uh, Their business yeah. and first class are, are very nice. Yeah, but worth £15,000 or nearly... Probably. Well, it's not shy. That is, a, that is a heck of a lot of that money. That is a big chunk of money, that, isn't it? Yeah, uh, for first class. Uh, Pip is saying, oh, that's not bad. I've been looking at Dubai for October half term. And BA from uh, London Heathrow was a lot more expensive, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah there we go. I've, I've just helped Pip out there. I've just saved him all that money. <laughs> well done, you. It's okay, Pip. Just uh, send the money in. Don't worry. Right. So, okay. Matt, you have got the next amazing story. Okay, well, we'll, well let's, let's find out together, shall we then? I'm a bit nervous because it says it's from the website foodandwine.com uh, and the headline is uh, Passenger Find Over $1,800 Over a Couple of McMuffins in His <laughs> Luggage. Uh, right, okay. Uh, there are a lot of reasons why you don't want to forget a pair of McDonald's egg and sausage McMuffins at the bottom of your backpack, but the possibility of a four-figure government fine has to be near the top of the list. An as-yet-unidentified air traveller was hit with... Uh, Aust- this, this is in Australian dollars, uh, $2,664. Uh, in uh, US, it's uh, 1846 uh, And it was an infringement notice after a Darwin Airport sniffer dog detected his leftover McMeal uh, when he flew from Bali, Indonesia, to the northern Australia, Australian city. Uh, I should imagine the dog couldn't believe his luck. <laughs> Anyway, according to a release from Murray Watt, Australia's newly sworn-in Minister for Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry, the traveller was also carrying a ham croissant. Uh, His uh, entire breakfast was deemed to be an undeclared biosecurity risk after being confiscated. Uh, The items were going to be tested for food, uh, for foot and mouth disease before being destroyed. This will be the most expensive uh, Mackie meal this passenger has ever had. His fine is twice the cost of an airfare to Bali but I have no sympathy for people who choose to disobey Australia's strict biosecurity measures and recent detections show you will be caught what said in a statement Australia is FMD free and we want it to stay that way what said that the McMuffins and croissant were sniffed out by Zinta a biosecurity detector dog who has recently been put into work at the airport it's excellent to see she's already 
already contributing to keeping the country safe. What added? This is the second fast food related fine to come out of Australia this summer. In mid-July, an Australian woman had to pay the same penalty after bringing her unfinished Subway sandwich into the country. <laughs> Jessica Lee said that she brought the footlong during a layover in Singapore and put half of it back into her carry-on bag. Yeah, it's worth looking in your carry-on uh, to make sure that you haven't forgotten a bag of apples, a couple of muffins, or half a Subway sandwich. Who knew fast food could be so expensive? My big takeaway from that story, uh, <laughs> Richard Adams says, Sorry, burger me, that's expensive. That's what that's what he said. Um, I mean, my biggest takeaway from that is why on earth would you go all the way... Uh, <laughs> Why would you go to all the way to Singapore and then buy a Subway sandwich? <laughs> I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That, that's my, my annoyance from there. But, I mean, the frustration here is they make it very clear, don't they? Especially if you're going to... New Zealand is the same. They've got, those, they've got the same very, very strict rules about what goes into and out of the country. I mean, I remember coming back um, from uh, New Zealand and I bought my mum... Uh, what was that? I've never made. I'm sorry, May Man Mark is saying I've never paid more than fifteen hundred dollars for two egg McMuffins. That's outrageous. <laughs> See what he did it did there. Uh, but I remember coming back from New Zealand. I bought Mum uh, a, like a like a cut a wooden carved vase uh, type sort of thing, and um, I couldn't find the little certificate initially for taking it out of the country. Because the, the rules are very strict is, uh, as well. Going the other way, you're not, you, you know, they're very, you're very limited about what you're allowed to take out of the country as well. And um, uh, yeah, they, they nearly took that off me because initially I couldn't find the, the little certificate that said it was, you know, a gift and was allowed to, to leave the country. But I mean, you know, everybody knows this. Why would you, why would you, you be so You've only got to watch so that silly? series on, on, uh, on Pick TV, Nothing to Declare here in the uk do you think it's perhaps so here's a here's a, a, a thought for you then as you say because loads of us have seen that tv program do you think it's because we look at it and go oh it can't possibly be like that it's all very exaggerated well it's all when you watch that series it's almost like they don't allow anyone into the country because there's always someone who's got a, a, a bag of sand or some soil on their boots or a <laughs> or a uh, you know, uh, 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 an, an unopened bottle of apple juice or something, and then, then that's it. No, you're not coming in the country. Mm. Out. Uh, f- uh, for your information, by the way, uh, 2000 and s- 2,664 Australian dollars works out to be about £1,500 here. <laughs> Cheap wow. as. I wonder, what, I wonder what Grant McCarran will have to say, because I know Grant does listen to the show. Oh, does, we'll get... Oh, message me a few times on the old uh, social media. Like saying, so we'll, we'll, get, we'll get tweets now. now we'll get tweets, that, yeah. we'll get messages, <laughs> voice messages and everything. Grant, why can't we come into your country? Look, come on. You know, you, really no, got a- no, 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 no. I'm sorry, you can. You've just got to not be a moron and read the rules. <laughs> and you can say that about any, any person visiting any country. Don't be a moron. Read the rules. Oh, my oh. word. Richard Adams comment in the chat room right now. Oh, go on. Oh, yeah. Nev, what's he saying? Uh, he said, uh, I foolishly uh, took thoroughly cleaned walking boots to New Zealand, but they pulled out the inner soles, found a tiny piece of straw, and kept me waiting three hours whilst they steam cleaned them. Wow. <laughs> well, that was nice of them. I mean, lovely, lovely Obviously, they're boots. being paid overtime, those <laughs> boys and girls, aren't they? So, I got a funny... 
Let that be a lesson to you, Armando. If you want to go to uh, Australia. Well, funny story. I, you know, used to travel for the military and often, you know, most of the time we were in civilian clothes, but I would have my uniforms in there, uh, in the luggage. And uh, in the military, you have airplanes with guns. Guns have explosive powder and residue. Like, (laughs) so often I would get asked or pulled aside uh, because the machines would, would always tag positive for explosive material. Um, it's like, yeah, I'm in the military and I work with guns and ammo. Like it's, it's a thing. It's (laughs) it's actually going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I would always plan an extra 15, 20 minutes to just have to explain. And you say it like that in, in the enthusiastic way that you just did as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very, very shy in the building. My fault, sir. You are the king. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I, bow, I bow to your superiors. Yes, absolutely. Oh my uh, word! Anyway, <laughs> moving swiftly on before we um, upset anyone in Australia. Uh, Nev, you've got the next story, and we're uh, we're going green for this next story. Well, I'm interested in this because it's about time we did something like this because we've had all this sort of digital business and paper-free travel uh, during the COVID stuff. Um, This is on Euronews.com and it says that Finland could be the first country in the EU to trial a mobile app with digital copies of travel documents. Uh, The country has expressed its eagerness to test out a phone app that would hold digital copies of travel documents instead of traditional paper passports. With this new technology, passengers could send information to border authorities before they go abroad. Uh, well, you kind of do that already when you have to send in your passport details if you're going overseas. You have to put the uh, advanced passenger information already in there and you're booking, don't you? But according to a, f- a report in a Finnish newspaper, uh, the European Commission reached out at the end of last year to ask if the country would be willing to participate in the pilot project. Uh, we're currently preparing a funding application for the Commission. Uh, the application must be submitted by the end of August. After that, it will be decided whether the project will be realised or not. Mikko Vasanen, who's an inspector for the Finnish border guard, told the newspaper. Um, so how is this going to work? Well, the Commission is encouraging some member states to trial digital travel documents. With the information gathered from these tests, it could introduce the ability to cross borders with nothing but a mobile phone app across the EU. Though it's still uncertain whether Finland's trial will go ahead, the digital documentation could be uh, tested on crossings to Croatia. Some passengers will be asked to volunteer to download the app on their phones and then they'll, they'll then be able to send their documentation to border authorities before they travel. Uh, the information is checked in advance and deleted after the trip, Fassinen said. Uh, the first volunteers are likely to be passengers travelling between Finland and Croatia in spring 2023 at the earliest. Well, I think the idea sounds great, but I can just see there's opportunities for fraudulent behaviour and Photoshop and stuff like that. Uh, isn't there something like this already now with Verify? Well, yes, it's to the extent that you have to put in all your details in whether you've been vaccinated and all the rest of it. Um, you... Actually, in fact, I think you do have to take a picture of your passport, if I remember correctly. Um, um, But, of course, the advanced passenger information that you have to send anyway, 
although that's not sending your physical passport, it is actually putting your passport details in so that the receiving country can see who's coming into the country before they even get there. So, Mm. um, interesting. I mean, I think we're all keen to do this kind of thing, but I wonder how realistic it's going to be with people trying to get into countries without authorization and, and this mm. kind of thing so i have to admit i do like having a paper copy of things mm. yeah yeah mm. Mm. anyway <laughs> we shall follow it mm. with yes. keenness i don't know i mean part, as you say you, oh, sort, you feel on. like you should be you feel like you should be totally on board with it you know because it does seem a bit bonkers in this day and age that things aren't more digitalized um, certainly when it comes to, to like digital documents and stuff. Uh, I mean, here in the UK, we have like the uh, government gateway, don't we, where you, where um, very personal data, if you like, is gathered and, and used as a way to sort of prove who you are. And you think, why can't that same system be applied to having a UK digital passport? You know, so all you've got to do is submit the photo and, and all that kind of thing. Um, but... Um, I mean, I guess that you've got that same argument, though, now, haven't you, where that, you know, the government, even the government gateway system, you know, which is used by the HMRC and that, I guess that is potentially open to abuse. Mm, sure. I mean, there's lots of um, information now on passports, the biometrics and all, yeah. all the rest of it. A lot of um, stuff is contained within the passport document itself, which it never used to have, um, exactly to prevent this, you know, uh, unauthorised people... Um, doing this uh, or fraudulent activity yeah possibly because but i i like like the idea of it i mean if they can make it work and and you know they're sure about who's coming into the country and it is you know bona fide documentation mm. then that that'll be a great thing yeah indeed and of course when the when the e passport gates work <laughs> they're brilliant they're absolutely yes. brilliant and you can you can literally whiz through i mean uh, my old pa- my new passport not has, hasn't been so successful but my old passport it was great it worked every single time you literally pop it on the on the reader and then walk straight straight through you'd literally jump mm. like queues and queues of people and just go straight through yeah. uh, miles high is saying back in 1989 i traveled to mexico and back from toronto i only had birth certificate and landing documents canadian customs gave me royal hell coming back uh, but they did let him through mm. so it tells its own story doesn't it yeah uh, oh oh and no photo id <laughs> oh wow Oops. gosh and Good. welcome Those to jonathan warner who's joined us oh has he? Good evening mr Very warner good. yes he's, he's admiring the photograph that's behind me no doubt one, one that he took at uh at uh, Riyadh a couple of weeks ago so armando hey. same oh carry on Nev. well i was just going to say also in the chat room is um Evan, Evan from Australia is uh, hey. joining us yeah. just to, joining us just in just in time after our Australian McMuffin story. You're going to have to go back and <laughs> hit rewind for that one. Um, what I I think he's gotten back in the air after a little bit of a respite. I believe in a Cirrus, right? Um, beautiful pictures from Evan on his social media. Yes, I actually really really enjoy that. Because uh, flying in Australia and New Zealand is, is on my bucket list one day. I want to come down there and fly. Not that I'm asking <laughs> to fly a Cirrus in Australia. I'll rent my own airplane. Oh. But you can you can come with since it's probably more legal. Um, yeah, anyway. Who needs legal? Yeah. Anyway, good evening as well to community member Sturman. Hello to you, Sturman. Good to see you in the chat room as well this evening. And uh, Armando, it seems like we keep giving you stories with um, rather dramatic videos. 
yeah. Quite. This one is interesting, and I think it's been it's it's made its way through social media also. And I know we have quite a few uh, general aviation pilots in the chat room, so I'd love to hear their take on it also. But uh, the well, I'll give you my take. I'll, I'll read the story first. A pilot and two passengers have been taken to hospital after a plane crash at Cotswold Airport. Emergency services attended the scene uh, this morning, or I think this was a couple days ago after the light aircraft overshot the runway and then ended up in the ditch on the A429. The road near Kemble was closed in both directions as emergency services responded to the incident and dealt with the debris. Uh, the AAIB is investigating the incident and a spokesperson for the Wiltshire police said shortly after 10.30 a.m. today, they responded to reports of a light aircraft which appeared to have overshot the runway, ending up in a ditch, as we just said. There were no reported deaths or serious injuries. The pilot and two passengers have been taken to the hospital as a precaution. Uh, multiple Dorset and Wiltshire uh, fire and rescue crews were also sent to the scene, but those on board the aircraft had actually self-rescued uh, before their arrival. Uh, crews from Stratton, Sirencester, and Tetbury attended the incident um, and as I said, they had already um, self-extracted. Uh, the incident was scaled back as they sort of approached. And as Matt is playing the video there, you can see that the aircraft was, was this. it's just such an interesting video. It is at incredibly high speed. And the pilot somehow manages to miss a couple of Airbuses and threads the needle right between them. I mean, avoiding... Probably the the nose wheel of one of these Airbuses by I can only imagine just a few feet, just a terrifying, terrifying moment. Um, again, I'd I'd love to hear from the chat room what you guys think about this. The the airplane to me is traveling at such speed that I think this may have been a mechanical malfunction. Um, I don't think this was just a standard pilot error uh, because you, I mean you have to be really really far off. Uh, and and Jonathan Warner is saying the same thing. How did they end up so far from the ru the runway? Mm. I think Matt, we have an airport diagram. Oh yes, uh, we do. That actually. we can yes, put up. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, yeah if you're that watching is. on on YouTube, it's yeah. it's a pretty long way from the runway to where this these aircraft are parked, and the highway, the A four two nine, sort of goes along the side of the airport. And even in in a in the worst day, and this was from the video it looks like a clear completely clear vfr day so um i what i think happened here is a stuck throttle or something like that a, uh, or a broken throttle cable but that that aircraft was traveling so fast that i i actually do think it was a mechanical malfunction now the i the fact that they threaded the needle between those airbuses went through the airport perimeter fence across the road and ended up uh, Matt, I think we've got some, a picture of the, the wreckage where it did end up. We haven't, um, unfortunately, no, it's uh, the, the image w wouldn't load sadly. Uh, okay. Code, well, yeah. it, it ended up balled up in the trees uh, just in pieces, the fuselage held. And I'm just amazed that nobody was, was, trapped or hurt in this incident I, I guess we don't maybe just light injuries but my take on it is is there this was a mechanical malfunction and now I, i'm telling you from firsthand when things start going wrong unless you practice these things 
these emergencies all the time in your mm-hmm. head. And you're always playing that what if game. Um, yeah, Squawking 700 on the uh, oh, there chat we go. room. Carlos has popped it up for us. Yeah, there we yeah, go. You- Just for the benefit of those watching on YouTube, there's the picture of the uh, of the aircraft, said aircraft there. I'm actually surprised, Armando, because I know obviously the fuel is is uh, stored in the wings on these particular... It is, and sometimes you just get lucky and the wings snap clear off and the fuel just spills out and doesn't catch fire. Um, Dirk, Miles High in in the chat room are also kind of leaning towards a throttle stuck on landing. Um, Squawking 7700, couldn't they just chop the mixture? Yeah, that's exactly what what I probably would have done. Um, Now, we don't know maybe when they hit the, the, when they touched down, that's when the, the malfunction happened. And at that point, you know, you're, you're kind of along for the ride. Like I said, in the previous story and you get this sort of fog of war thing going where, you know, what there's a couple of things you can do. You can, you, especially in a Piper, you can turn the fuel valve to off. That takes yeah, probably about 15 seconds for it to, 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 to wind down. Through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can pull the mixture. That's going to take, five to seven seconds for the engine to sputter and, and, and stop. You can uh, turn the mags off, the magnetos off. That's going to take a couple seconds for it to stop. And if you're going at such high speed, it's still going to windmill a little bit. And of course, a lot, a lot of this Armando as well is, and, and I, I, I know this is going to sound um, slightly strange here, but I'm going to re- refer back to the whole Sully thing is, um, you know, the reaction time of you thinking, what on earth is going on here? Like sort of like, you know, cause it's going to take a minute or two for you to realize that something's wrong. And there is that strong chance that at that point it's already too late. Mm-hmm. You know, while you're trying yeah, to, you-, you know, you're thinking as fast as you can on your feet, obviously, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like a cartoon. Can you imagine yeah. pulling the, pulling the throttle lever to idle and it coming off in your hand and you staring at that cable <laughs> thinking, yeah yeah what on earth is right? going on here yeah absolutely <laughs> Ooh, by the time misses. you look at the end of the frayed cable and go yeah. oh, flip. oh my yes <laughs> yeah oh flipping it oh, oh, he's, yeah, oh, yeah. Flip. he's an un- unscientific point of view from me oh. as always um <laughs> wouldn't they be at idle power anyway if they were landing or if it had just landed true uh, uh should have been unless uh and I thought about that too. Unless this was a takeoff, and and I don't, I haven't seen any kind of flight radar twenty four tracks. I don't know the the story from ITV says that they were landing and overshot the runway. But as we all know, the media, hmm. right? So they they could have been <gasps> no. on a takeoff roll. Uh, could have been a rudder malfunction on a takeoff roll. Uh, stuck throttle on a takeoff roll. It, you, you know we. We don't know yet. I, I will be interested to see, Nev, what <laughs> what exactly happened here. Um, so I'm, I'm just running that video again because I know sometimes CCTV can make things look faster than it actually is. And, and as it comes to the end of the video there, uh, it looked like about a second, if you see what I mean, because we only see the clock very, very briefly on there. But it does appear to be moving at a normal pace. Yeah. If you see what I mean. So that does appear to be live timing, if you see what I mean. I've got to say, he done a hell of a job steering that aircraft yeah, right yeah. those A320 nose, uh, nose mm-hmm. gears. Well, because it cl- it's clipped the wheel, hasn't it? You can see, like, you know, you've lost, I, you see a bit of the wing fly off there, don't you, with uh, with it uh, 
I, I, I haven't made that up. Have I ever got that right? Hang on. Let's, one more time for luck. I'm sure I see it clip there, the, 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 the nose wheel on, on the 380 there. Have a look. Um, the red wheel. Well, there we go. Yeah, it's, there you go. It's, and, it's clip, and it takes a part of the wing off as it goes around. Squawking7700 said in the chat room, the PA28 had veered off the runway during a touch and go. Oh. And the accident happened in daylight BMC. Um, so, which is kind of, we're both right. <laughs> Nev. Yeah. So it was a landing and a takeoff. <laughs> Right. So maybe he had he did actually have um, power on reason, reasonably high throttle setting perhaps yeah, yeah. and a directional control malfunction. So did you think maybe a bounce or something and it's you know triggered? So oh, I mean like we're speculating, aren't we? We should yep. we should wait till we get the official report. Sorry, I, I'm just I'm getting a little overexcited. <laughs> I do apologise. And, and and we'll see the preliminary. I think the AAIB yeah. always puts out a preliminary report yeah. before that you know year long final yeah. investigation. So Nev, least, yeah. oh carry on, Armando. Ah, sorry, I, I think there's a little bit of a delay, but I, at least they weren't hurt. No, that is, Again, that is a very good point. Astounding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's another one that's a, a bit of a shock. I know. It's been a, bit of a hectic show tonight. Yeah. Uh, Nev, you've got the next story, and uh, we're going back to, to uh, London City. We are, and it's on cityam.com, and it says that London City Airport is on track to reach the 3 million passenger mark at the end of the year as numbers continue to soar. Uh, the airport announced today that 640,000 passengers travelled through its gates in June and July, whilst August forecasts expect another 300,000. We've made a conscious effort with our airlines to attract more leisure routes and passengers this summer, and the fact that we could reach close to 1 million passengers for the period is testament to the resilience of our operation and quality of the passenger experience we offer said chief executive robert sinclair london city was left largely unaffected by the recent travel chaos as it said that it gets passengers from the uh, Docklands Light Railway to their gate in less than 25 minutes. Nevertheless, the airport urges passengers to show up two hours in advance to ensure a smooth run of operations. Uh, the airfield has recently made the headlines when it launched a 10-week consultation on its proposed uh, proposal to increase passenger capacity to 9 million by 2031. And it was very smooth for me this week, I've got to say, going through City Airport. And the other thing that they've got, they've got at least one of the uh, baggage scanning machines where you don't have to take anything out at all. Um, you put everything through, including all your liquids. Now, there was a bit of a queue at the other end of it because so many baggages, uh, sorry, so many bags got pulled out for separate screening mm. or at least conversations with the passengers. <laughs> but it did make things move a lot smoother. Um, although, of course, the poor folks at the airport spend so much of their time telling people not to take the stuff out of their bags, you know, the iPads, the uh, PCs, laptops phones and uh, um, uh, liquids uh, but nonetheless it's it, i mean london city is a good experience i must say they've done a nice job with that and judging by the people that were there uh, there were very few business people there uh, it was nearly all holiday and leisure travelers so it's uh, a bit of a random question there what's the parking situation like at london city well i wasn't able to sort of pre-book parking there this time it was all full up i mean i think i could have parked at the airport had i just turned up but it had been really expensive so i decided to go down the night before mm -hmm. and stay at the double tree hotel just a you know about a 15 minute walk away um and i parked there 
for twelve pounds a night. So I mean that's yeah. that's that's you not know, too bad, is bearing it? Bearing in yeah. mind he throws you know forty eight pounds a night minimum. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's you know that's not bad going. Obviously, I had to you know pay for the fuel and everything to to get to and from the airport as I took the car. But it was uh, I, for me it was worth going down the night before rather than have to worry about you know what's the traffic going to be like in the morning. But of course, if you're travelling on the Docklands Light Railway mm. or you know public transport and all that's working okay then it's as, a good as, option so. as long as there's no strike of course there is that yes mm. yes now matt you had the uh mcmuffin story earlier on i did in the show and you've, you've got another shocking story have i yes uh, uh, this is this is out of london city is uh, featuring very highly in our stories uh, today and i i look forward to comment on this from our london city export uh, expert in a moment uh it's uh, cityam.com is the website uh, no i'm at the wrong thing moving on to the no, next one the i'm totally uh, ignore me i'm having a moment uh, <laughs> uh there we go mylondon.news is it. the website and the headline it's got nothing to do with London City at all. Uh, Wiz Air passengers get £80 phone bill after calling £1.45 a minute helpline to try and get a refund. Oh dear. Uh, Wiz Air passengers have slammed the airline over its £1.45 a minute customer service phone line. That means some are racking up huge bills trying to talk to staff. One passenger revealed online that they had spent €60 in phone charges trying to speak to someone, while someone else racked up a a bill of over £80. Uh, Following a period of travel chaos, many passengers have experienced delayed or cancelled flights in recent weeks. Many are now trying to get refunds and assistance but are still struggling to do so due to the company's phone rates Uh, one unhappy uh, passenger took to twitter and said normal airlines have free phone numbers to to call customer service to open a case and they update you and chase where about you know chase uh, about the lost luggage uh, could be with uh, whiz air there is uh, no one to talk to no updates uh, and no one uh, no one response another customer who who has been trying to speak to a member of staff tweeted here's an idea how about getting real people to answer phone calls at a free or local rate rather than the extortion at £1.45 per minute uh, where you take ages to answer and at the first mention of the words refund cancellation or money back in full the line goes dead <clears throat> A third passenger similarly complained about racking up a large phone board and said, I'm trying to get in contact with your call centre for three days now. I've spent €60 just in phone traffic to speak with someone without success and the call gets very close uh, again, the call gets closed every time. Uh, in addition to charging customers £1.45 per minute to speak to a member of customer service, there is also an additional call centre transaction fee to all transactions that are available online. This call centre transaction fee is not refundable. A Wizz Air spokesperson told My London in the event that Wizz Air cancels a flight, passengers will be offered a range of options, including alternative flights with Wizz Air, a full refund, or a 120 or or 120 pounds in airline credit both of which we aim to process within a week i mean i i suppose i suppose the problem here is in uh this day and age we are very much encouraged to do everything online and i suppose the idea behind the expensive call rate number is to discourage people from f- 
phoning in mm. to get their problem sorted. Now, there are some occasions, of course, where it isn't possible to sort something out, like, you know, online. I mean, in theory, you should be able to do everything through your account. Um, but, I mean, presumably they, bought, presumably they booked the tickets using the website in the first place. I don't know. I I I I I understand why why people are frustrated, but I do I do feel this is one of those stories where I feel like we haven't got all of the information here. I mean, most companies now, Matt, you'll know yourself. Most yeah. companies nowadays, online companies or even not online, well, companies that have websites have that kind of online chat where you can chat to an actual human, but it's through a you know a chat, you know, like a messenger kind of style thing. Indeed. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's pretty crazy that they're charging a a pound forty five per minute. That's mm. I, it, as a as an American traveling over in Europe. There were situations where I didn't have cell phone service. I didn't have data. Um, perhaps I'm using someone's phone to call. I couldn't just get on an app. So then I have to find an internet cafe or something to try to talk to somebody, and I'm paying for that per minute. I mean, I. It's pretty far-fetched to me, not far-fetched, obviously it's real, but like to have customer service that isn't toll-free or, you know, a free call, it was mm, mm. criminal, as Pip said. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I say, I, I suppose because I do work for a company that relies very heavily on its call centers, I can kind of see where they're trying to, to go with this, as I say. And it's like, I mean, if... You know, it, it, there almost needs to be the ability, like if you booked your ticket using a call centre, you should be able to use a, you know, call a call centre to to do something about it and not be absolutely ripped off. I do think those those fees are are ridiculous. I mean, you you know, you could sort of you, you could wear it if it was like twenty p a, um, you know, a, a minute or something like that because you just think okay. But I mean, one pound forty five is is extortionate. That I, I'm not condoning that by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just trying to get my head round. You know, I'm, I'm trying. If you like to try, sort of see if I can see it from their point of view, and I, I admit I am struggling to find. To find especially that. if you're on, especially yeah. if you're waiting to connect and you're listening to really poor audio music. Poor quality, that yeah, really terrible. Yeah, yeah this is it. Uh, is, uh, Tony S is suggesting at one pound forty-five a minute. You should definitely, you definitely need to borrow someone else's phone. <laughs> I think that's that is one solution, of course. <laughs> I mean, it may it may end a, it may end a friendship or twelve. <laughs> but, exactly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Right. So uh, that is where we are going to bring the commercial news segment to a close this week. Loads to come uh, still in the show, including that competition as well, where we're giving you guys and girls the chance to win uh, those tags, those aviation tags, one military and one commercial. Questions coming up a little bit later on the show. But first, it's time to hand over to Nev to introduce the next part of the show thanks Carlos yes you'll remember that uh, he and I were over at Seething a few weeks ago for their flying really enjoyed that and we did some great interviews there we've got some great ones coming up in the uh, following weeks as well but this is a really interesting one we went up to the tower at Seething and uh, we spoke with Michael who runs the ATC facility there and uh, a fascinating uh, chat with him I think you'll really enjoy this as well so let's go over to Carlos in the tower so you join me in the control center here at Seething uh, where well well all the uh, 
kind of the technical stuff is and where they look after the aircraft that are flying in on today's uh, flying. And I'm here with Michael. Michael, you are uh, in charge up here. Uh, is that right? I'm well. I'm I'm the senile air traffic controller. <laughs> and it is obviously it's a live room, so there's stuff going on. Uh, Sierra Whiskey, no known traffic. It's three two zero seven. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I'm the senile air traffic controller. We're not really air traffic controllers, we're air ground radio operators, that's all we are. We're not, uh, we can't give commands or anything like that, but uh, we just give airfield advice in general, stuff like that. But you're here for the safe operation yeah, of the airfield. Yeah, we try to make it safe, we try yeah. to make it safe, hopefully we do. So how long have you been doing this, Michael? Um, well, I've been a member here since 1960, when the club first started, uh, so quite a long while. I'm probably the oldest... Uh, operational member now, am I, Brian? I think something like that. Yeah, probably. Anyway, I'm 82, um, so I've been here a long while. I know how the club's evolved over the years. Know all the history of the club. Um, followed it for years. Started to fly in 90. I got my license in 1970, um, so I've been flying ever since. Um, and doing air traffic control or air traffic here for many, many years. Many, many years. So, is there, Michael, is there a, spe a specific qualification you have to do to be able to, uh, to set up here there and, is, and do what you do? Yes, there is now. Um, you have to do a, a test to operate air ground radio now, uh, but you didn't. We operate on grandfather rights with a um, 3802 certificate, I believe. That's the number. So, it's, uh, is that an easy course? Um, it's not bad. It's I think it's about um, two hours. There's a written and a, and a practical. Um, so I think it's about a two hour. But it's not hard to do. Um, you know, you just got to study radio work and know the correct terminology for the particular airfield you're at. And obviously, seething, you've got you've got an excellent view here from the tower here. At yeah, Seething. we're pleased with our tower. We built it ourselves, as we did everything on the airfield. It's all done by the members. Uh, so Brian did all the electrics, all the computer systems, The uh, we've got everything on here we need, we've got cameras, we've got weather, absolutely so everything. We're going to we take can. the circuit to the west and then we're going to kill it right on Canary Hall 192 We can move stuff around exactly as we want so we can move the aircraft around the screen, not on this one, but you can do. So it, it, we've got a lovely setup there, probably better than most airfields in the UK. So what kind of systems, for the benefit of the listeners and the viewers, what kind of systems do you use in place here? Obviously, I've seen you've got kind of, uh, is it Flight Aware you're using yes, here? Yes, we're using Flight Aware just to pick up any aircraft that are, are transmitting the right, correct uh, data. Um, they don't, it doesn't pick up all, as you know. We've got all the systems on here, so we've got our own weather systems. Uh, we've got the Norwich, TAF and MET on there. Um, these are aircraft that are booked in, some of them. Um, we can flip that screen, I can't do it, Brian could probably do it to show you, but we can flip that screen to get cameras and all sorts up, can't we Brian? He's the, he's the expert, technical expert. <laughs> I just yap to people. So on days like today, when you've got all this amount, I mean there was a lot of aircraft Yes, we had 30, today. 38 total so far. You know, how much more of a, I mean compared to a normal standard day, you know what? What more to the workload is our obviously standard a lot more. day. Our standard day here is probably about ten aircraft, uh, maybe fifteen to twenty movements. Uh, but we've had thirty-eight aircraft in, which is a lot, and it's really a bit much for us. We can handle it. Um, you know, we can, provided we've got the ground crew organised and everything uh, to sort it. 
So these aircraft that have come in today, they tend to call you, how far ahead do they call you up? Uh, they call us out about five to six miles, perhaps up to ten miles. Um, and then we just, all we give them is the uh, what the airfield uh, runway is in use and the um, QFE. QFE. That's all we give them. And when they go out, basically all we give them is the uh, wind speed and the QNH. Excellent. And it, obviously with the information you give them, this is obviously live information here you've got in yeah, front of you yeah. you can give them exact weather yeah, yeah. and all the bits and yeah, pieces for yeah. them for the guys flying yeah. in yeah yeah that's that works well the system is very very good and um, we've got we monitor norwich radio on there norwich air traffic on there uh, this is our main radio so um you know the system's good it's good output we've got good aerials um everything works do you ever have any contact with any of the other um, control centres in the air, like Norwich, you say? Yes, we've got Norwich, uh, we've got two members who are Norwich air traffic controllers. Uh, they come over and help us sometimes if we're busy. Would have, could have done with those today. Uh, would have been nice, but uh, they're both off working somewhere else, so uh, we didn't get them. But uh, uh, we've always had a good uh, rapport with Norwich. Yeah, works brilliantly. They're good to us. They know our aircraft. They know everyone who flies from here. Uh, the controllers are good. The zone is no problem. How important do you think the days like today for seething? Obviously, there's a lot of people here. A lot it's of people brilliant. have turned up. I mean, we're back to where we were. This is what we did. We did this twice, three times a year. Uh, this is the first time for three years at least that we've had anything like this at all. Fabulous, absolutely fabulous. It's a great time. Yeah, absolutely yeah. fabulous. We're really pleased with it. And how long um, do you think? Obviously, you're up here every day. You're, you obviously enjoy what you do up here. We love it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Absolutely can't <laughs> beat it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when so there's two of us, it's great. You know, we have a good rapport, and the, the, they they come up and see us. Everyone comes up and brings us coffee up and things like that. Um, so really brilliant. Yeah, it's a good club. You know, really enjoyable to be part of it. And you're a pilot as well. I'm a pilot as well. Still, just <laughs> yeah. So what uh, what aircraft do you fly here at Sealing? Uh, Cessna 150 Aerobat. You might have seen it come in with the chickens. The chickens, yeah. We saw Mike. <laughs> we saw Mike, Mike doing the chicken yeah. run. But they did a wonderful trip with that. Did he tell you about his trip? We did have a good Absolutely. chat with Michael about his trip to Croatia. Yeah, 3,000 miles and uh, 40 hours of flying. And they did really well because Mike's only a low-houred pilot. He's not a, not a massively qualified chap. He's only low-houred, really. Um, bloody brilliant, I think. Oh, you've, you've, you've got a few hours under your belt, though. Um, I've got about three and a half, probably thousand, roughly, as a private pilot, and mainly do put on my hobbies were aerial photography, really, which I spent uh, many, many years doing. I've got probably the best library of aerial photography in Norfolk and Suffolk and in the world. Oh well, what um, was that? Uh, so actually I, I do Norfolk, Suffolk, East Anglia, basically. Uh, I've got two hundred odd thousand images. Brian, my confederate, maintains it all. Uh, runs a website Wow. Um, and we do everything we do is done for charity so over the past 20 years we've probably raised three or four hundred thousand total wow that's amazing you know for sales of photos because as a private pilot you know I'm not allowed to sell photos for hire or reward or to fly for hire or reward so everything we do is done for charity so we run a charity account we don't touch any money at all. The people pay into the charity account for a picture, and that's how we do it. Works oh. well. So you, I, I could uh, call you up and just ask you to come take a picture of my house in Bungie? Well, and, you uh... could, you could, yes, <laughs> and I've probably got one anyway. I probably wouldn't need to come. 
<laughs> Probably got one. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Michael, it's been lovely to talk yeah. to you this afternoon. Yeah. Nice, nice to, to hear to about you. what yeah. you do as yeah. well here, because yeah. it's um, it's obviously one of those things. You know, we obviously see the pilots who fly and the pilots who fly. See what we do, up but here. it's it's yeah. obviously you guys which help to yeah. keep everything. Yeah. Excuse the coffee moving. cups and everything, anywhere, but we couldn't get down oh, today. It, <laughs> trust me, me, me and Nev, we, we've been up to uh, to Heathrow, the control tower there, a number That's of just times, as bad. and it's just the same. No, yeah, it's just that. the same. Yeah. Now we're only on a very small scale as we can, but uh, you know we enjoy it, and we think we've got a good setup, and we try and be professional or semi-professional and do everything properly if we can. Um, Oh, it's a lovely control room, I will say. Yeah, it's very yeah, well appointed yeah, in here. Yeah, it works well. I mean, it's aircon, um, you know, uh, and we keep the aircon set the same all the while throughout the year, so we can come up here in the winter and that's still 19 degrees. So, Michael, I'm going to ask you one last question before we mm. finish, and um, it's, it's one of those questions we ask everyone we talk to on the show. And uh, obviously, we've got all these different aircraft out here at the moment. We've mm. got Cubs, we've got, um, mm. you know, the Cirrus is there, we've got the mm. Easy's. Uh, Mike Sierra is 24 left hand, uh, 1017 QH. 24 left hand, 1017, and I'm going to taxi to. Roger, 2 Alpha, call when ready at Alpha. Taxi to Alpha, apologies. And that's live, that's live, honestly. Yeah. So, given the chance to fly in the aircraft, whatever it is, military, retired, GA. Commercial airliner. What would I go in? What would you love to go and jump in there and take for a whiz round seat? Down there because I learned in one of those. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time we've had a messenger in for years. We had an Alpha India Lima Lima here, and we had that here many many years. Um, so that's why we gave him a prime parking spot. Oh, I did wonder yeah, why that yeah. was. Yeah. Um, so we got him in there and we fitted him in there. But they're lovely. I mean, you fly with a stick between your knees and, you know, oh, Jesus. They're noisy old buggers, so they're not like ours, but we've got now. But that's the one I'd pick at the moment. Excellent choice. Yeah. Well, Michael, yeah. thanks for your time. Yeah, nice it's been lovely to speak to, to you. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah have, a, have a great rest of the day. I'm sure you've okay. got uh, more aircraft doing, no yeah, doubt. we've got about four or five hours. We've no more doing now. I should think they'll start going off. Going then. off now. Yeah. Yeah. All right, thank you, Michael, then. Take yeah. care. Okay. Cheers. I mean, what an in, an incredible space that they've got there. I mean, it's a proper control tower, isn't it? Oh, it's yeah. Very, it's very nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Indeed. And, uh, no, it, uh, Mike gave us a lot of his time. And, uh, yeah, it, he's one of these chaps that you can just imagine the stories that he could tell. Mm. Um, and uh, looking through his uh, photography archive as well, it is phenomenal. And... Uh, I think as Richard just suggested, we should put a link for that on the PTUK website, which we are happy to do. Um, Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll put that on because uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating look. Richard's made a comment actually in the chat room as well, hasn't he, Nev? Mm. Yes, uh, Richard says, uh, great when you get an AG operator who flies GA and understands the issues typical weekend pilots get, which is yes, very, reassuring. very reassuring. So he's, yeah. he's been there and done it himself. So yeah, uh, Literally got the yeah. T-shirt. And uh, yep. uh, how, how old did you say he was? 82. 82. My goodness me. Uh, Pru- Pru- also said actually he loves he loved the the uh, radio interruptions yeah absolutely. we wanted to get, i thought about taking those out but actually i thought it added a lot more absolutely. to it by by keeping yeah. it in so I, i'm glad we we did keep those in yeah. uh it was just uh it just shows how well it was a, is a live you know um a live airfield, active so, yeah. tower that we were in absolutely fantastic yeah, yeah. yeah great yeah fun. big thanks um again uh to all, all the team at seething for uh giving me and nev you know pretty much access everywhere 
on the, the flying Wonderful. day. Thanks to everyone at Seething and also thanks to Dan again as well uh, for all his help on the day. Honestly, you two love a little bit of air side, don't you? Honestly. I know, I know. <laughs> so what's coming up next then? Well, it's time to hand things over to our resident grey expert of the team. It is, of course, Armando. Matt. There's no time to think. If you think, you die. Hit the button. I got to admit, I'm impressed. Your training is progressing nicely, young Padawan. I've, I've, I've tried to fool you. You're, you're almost to your check ride. Thank you very much. Yes, From you, I will take that. Thank you. Uh, speaking of thank yous, I want to thank the the our, our community for sending a couple of you sent this one in uh, from a few different sources. This particular story is from defensenews.com. The United States Special Operations Command has chosen... The AT-802 Skywarden. It's made by L3 Harris Technologies and the company Air Tractor, which is a crop dusting company. Uh, they've selected this aircraft for its armed overwatch program. Uh, now, this is kind of unique. This indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract will be worth up to $3 billion with a B U.S. dollars. That's according to an L3 Harris uh, release on Monday. The initial program contract award is for $170 million. The air tractor is uh, or air tractor is an aircraft manufacturer from only Texas. Typically makes firefighting aircraft. Uh, you've probably seen them in use uh, out west and in Australia uh, as a marking aircraft, sort of a forward air control aircraft. And they also make crop dusters, which is uh, where it got its original uh, design from. So the initial production of the Sky Warden is going to take place at Air Tractor's facility in Olney. L3 Harris then will modify those airplanes into the armed overwatch mission configuration in Tulsa, Oklahoma at its modification center. That's beginning in 2023. Uh, L3 also said that some of the work will also take place in Greenville, Texas, Rockwall, Texas, where they have a, a pretty big uh, materials uh, manufacturing facility, as well as Waco and Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Air Force Special Operations Command's Armed Overwatch Program aims to build a fleet of up to 75 flexible fixed-wing aircraft suitable for deployment to austere locations with little logistical uh, requirements to keep them operating. Now, SOCOM, the Special Operations Command, is planning for the single-engine Skywarden as uh, AFSOC, the Air Force Special Operations Command, two tem- I think we've talked about that on the show, two totally different uh, but similar chains of command. Uh, this aircraft is going to be able to provide close air support, precision strike, and armed intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance missions for counterterrorism operations and irregular warfare or n- anything that's non-standard tanks rolling across the countryside as we're seeing there in Eastern Europe. The Air Force Special Operations Command com, uh, Commander, uh, Lieutenant General Jim Slife, said last year that he had hoped the armed overwatch aircraft will be suited for uh, pressuring extremist groups in places like Africa and the uh, Middle East, where the airspace is essentially uncontested. 
Um, so the Air Force is uh, moving to establish these airplanes uh, as it shifted its primary focus some of, from some of its more complex and expensive to operate fighters and bombers and away from ca- uh, combating terrorist groups and violent extremist organizations in places like the Middle East. Last year, the commander uh, kind of insinuated that AFSOC would be replacing its aging and expensive U-28 Draco ISR aircraft, which is the modified PC-12. Um, this air, they called it rare. It's not that rare. It's a Pilatus. Um, this <laughs> aircraft required specialized equipment and training to maintain. Um, I actually take issue with that statement. It actually didn't does not take a lot of training. It's a commercial a uh, commercially produced aircraft with not a lot of modifications to it. What is expensive about it to the U.S. taxpayer is that it came with contract maintenance. It is not internally maintained by the U.S. Air Force, therefore making the uh, the entire program just a little bit more uh, expensive. And by a little bit, I mean millions and billions uh, more than it should have been. But the uh, Air Force Special Operations Command said that even after the Sky Warden is delivered, the U-28 will still be needed for uh, its ISR missions and search and rescue and humanitarian relief efforts. So Jonathan Warner reached out to me and kind of asked why they chose this over the AT-6, um, which is, you know, Beach Beechcraft, Textron, T-6 Texan II, basically, with a bunch of missiles and guns on it. Um, what is unique about the AT-802 is that you can take the wings off and throw a couple of them in a C-17 or a couple of them in a C-5. And you can transport them across the world fairly quickly, drop them off. I'm going to give you a completely hypothetical scenario. Let's say there's a humanitarian crisis in West Africa. So you can park a couple of these up in RAF Mildenhall, have a C-17 come through. They're already ready to go. Uh, rolling chassis, the engines on it, everything. The only thing that's off it is the wings. And then and you can throw two of these uh, on a C5 or a C17, possibly even three of them, transport them down to, let's say, a large airport like uh, Dakar, Senegal International Airport, and uh, offload them there. Within about two hours, they can put the wings on and they can fly out to an austere location and basically operate for the next 30 days or something like that off a dirt road because it's a crop duster. It's got, you know, it's a tail dragger. It's got a beefed up uh, chassis and gear and all that stuff. And with only about 20 people, you could probably run a 30 day uh, austere operation using surveillance uh, technologies. Um, What you are losing is this is two person crew instead of a four-person crew in the Pilatus or five-person crew. Um, But that's okay because with the advances in technology, you can offboard a lot of this stuff through satellite communications. Um, So that is the short answer as to kind of why they probably chose this aircraft. And it's also got an incredible range, uh, really not range, more endurance than range, where you can do a lot of you know, pretty long six, seven hour loiter times. And very quickly it can land reconfigure from a surveillance role into a, an armed role and put some rockets and, and missiles into it. So there you go. Very unique. I think we've been talking about this program for three years on the show. So they finally chosen the airplane. 
It's a stunningly beautiful aircraft, isn't it? Is it? You see, now I was literally <laughs> going to make comments to the exact opposite of this. Oh, what dear. a hideous looking monstrosity that is. Hunter. That just looks horrible. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I think I, I stand <laughs> by my Pip, comment in the chat room. For it the first extreme. time ever, the first time ever, me and Pip agree on something. I never thought that day would happen. <laughs> it is a mishmash of three different aircraft with a greenhouse on top. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pip, Pip does say, if I saw something that ugly coming at me, I'd surrender. That's what we're banking on. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm approaching this from completely the wrong end. end. Hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, fair enough. It also looks like the Pixar, I think it's Pixar movie. Yeah. Planes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah Dusty yeah, yeah, Crop Hopper. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, God, there you go. So, by DVD. Um, <laughs> I know. Uh, uh, Car- Carlos's next story, uh, you can abridge it. You can kind of stop when we get the, the whole story. But I, I, I thought it'd be nice to throw a, a Coast Guard story because we don't talk about the Coast Guard that often. No, no. And this, this, is, a, this is a good story, considering one of, one of the charities that I'm donating to for my birthday is the Air Ambulance but here in the UK. But uh, this t- comes to us from dvidshub.net. And uh, it's all about uh, rescuers on the Rio Grande coast guard team saving lives on the border uh, search and rescue cases typically have a clear beginning middle and end dispatchers receive a call for help and work swiftly to pinpoint locations of anyone in trouble coast guard crews jump into their boats or aircraft rush to the scene and render assistance then the crews bring those distressed shaken boaters back to shore deliver the wounded or ill to hire medical care and reunite families with their missing loved ones so search and rescue on the rio grande however is different why is it different armando it's a rio grande uh, coast guard members patrolling a 47 mile uncharted portion of the river uh, river riverine riverine border uh, between us and mexico often find themselves swept up in the middle of dire emergencies uh, compelled to react to life or death circumstances with little or no forewarning. On the early morning of June the 2nd, an underway Coast Guard crew received word from US Border Control agents there might be non-citizens trying to cross the river around the bend up ahead. Petty officers second class, Jarrett Guerrera, coxswain of the 29-foot response boat small crew from Coast Guard Maritime Safety and Security Team Houston, eased the boat's throttles forward, peering through the shadows for signs of movement. His two crewmen, Petty Officer Second Class Jake Flores and Petty Officer Third Class Corey Connolly, clicked on their flashlights and manoeuvred to the bow of the boat to stand lookout. Suddenly their flashlight beams fell upon an overturned raft in the middle of the river, illuminating a scene of utter distress. Two women were thrashing in the water near the raft, struggling to stay afloat. One of the first women was clutching a small figure, a one-year-old boy, but within seconds a child slipped from her grasp. The baby boy drifted towards the bow of the Coast Guard boat, then moved rapidly to its stern, at which point Guerrera instinctively yanked the vessel's throttles back to neutral. Now unable to actively manoeuvre his boat, Guerrera fixed his gaze on the small boy as the current pulled him further away. He said, I can vividly remember the infant bobbing and face down in the water, he recalled. To me, the baby looked lifeless. 
The coxswain's crew shouted for the baby to get out of the water or to get the baby out of the water even. And nearly at the same moment, Jack Flores shouted, I'm going in. In one seamless, well-practiced movement, uh, Flores stripped of his law in, enforcement gear, sleeped, uh, le- leaped off the boat, uh, swimmed dog style after the baby boy. And he just couldn't let the kid drown in front of him, he said. Within seconds, he grabbed the infant, fought the current back to the boat and held the limp child to his teammate, uh, Corey Connolly. Shining his flashlight down on the baby, Connolly noted the motionless limbs, chestnut rising and pallid grey face. Uh, Connolly, who had been in the Coast Guard for a year and a half, immediately dropped his knees and began CPR. At that point, his training kicked in, he said. You go through first aid training not to have use on it anymore, but I'm glad it helped at that moment. While Connolly administered chest compressions, Cox and Jarrett Guerrero turned his attention to the two women still splashing nearby, clinging to the side of the vessel. He pulled the terrified, exhausted duo from the water and helped his teammate Flores clamber back into the boat. All eyes were on Connolly, still rhythmically pressing on the baby boy's chest, head bowed as he worked, and after around three rounds of CPR, the infant stirred and began bringing up water. He was very relieved and happy to see all was okay, Connolly said. It would have been devastating if it had not gone as well as it did. There we go. That's a story. Yeah, guys, I, I know this is a boat story, but these rescue swimmers, that uh, they do tours. They go back and forth between the boats and the aircraft. These are the folks, if you've seen the movie, uh, oh, it's got Ashton Kutcher in it, uh, Kevin Costner. Uh, it's a Coast Guard boat. No, no, no. Uh, somebody in the chat room is going to find it. It's a, it is a Coast Guard oh, movie. Oh, dear. Um, the, the rescue swimmers do tours both in the air, and they're the ones that you see in the movies jump out of helicopters from 50 feet in the air. Um, and this kind of story is such a regular thing. Uh, Carlos, I did see that on your social media. You posted a uh, fundraiser for for your local air ambulance. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, these these air crews, the rescue swimmers, the support personnel, I always think are are such an, um, I guess, uh, it's a thankless part of aviation that The Guardian, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dirk. It's called The Guardian, the movie. Oh, I thought um, you were talking about the newspaper. <laughs> no, no, go see it. If you haven't seen it, I'm sure it's on streaming services. Go see that movie because it's actually a, a great movie and, and really accurate. And it's just, I mean, what a thankless job. And, and these folks, you, you don't know that you need them until the day that you do. And they'll, they'll go out hundreds of miles offshore um, to rescue someone and, and search for days and, and months, uh, just as much as, as some of this inland search and rescue, like in the Rio Grande. You can, you can rest assured that these boat patrols are augmented by aircraft um, providing information, but just a, a great story. And, and, you know, we, we, I would love to, for you, Carlos, to somehow arrange uh, some kind of interview with the air ambulance folks, because I think that they just do such a great job. Yeah. Yeah. I need to, need to look into that. I think, I'm under- I, I think there's, I think there's a, a, someone we know who might be able to help with you, you with that actually, Carlos. So. Yeah, I think there is someone I know as well oh. who's uh, who's at a certain airport where these yeah, guys are yeah, based. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That might be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Le- leave that with Carlos. He may be able to do yeah. something about that. I, th- I think it's a uh, they're in 
the definition of an intrepid aviator. I mean, yeah. the military gets all kinds of credit, yeah. but but these air ambulance folks and these Coast Guard rescue air crews, they're in the middle of the night in terrible weather, landing in the middle of a field surrounded by trees and power lines. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just amazing what they're able to do. I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've often said that about paramedics in general. I mean, it's that it's that courage, if you like, to to step into the unknown. Uh, I mean, you don't know when you turn up to that house, for example, you don't know uh, the incident that's you know led up to this thing. I mean, you are literally putting yourself in danger is you know it's not as you say it's not just military personnel it's like anytime any emergency service is involved i mean it's just i i, I do worry sometimes we don't show them uh, as much respect as we should do you know what i mean for for what for the yeah. job that they do yeah and don't forget as well mate our, our, the the whole reason why i've i've set up the the donation page for my birthday next yeah. week on the on facebook is is because the air ambulance here in the uk isn't funded by the government it doesn't get um money you know given to it by by the government or any or any banks or anything it is funded you know by, by donations from people like myself and, and other people around yeah, uh, the country so well, we did, whereas just, i think was i think the u.s coast guard i'm under is that is that government it's it's, it's uh, not just federally funded it's a branch of the military here okay yeah and, 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 and was it a story i think uh, was it last uh, not well not last week obviously but a couple of two or three weeks ago and i think it was i think is it something like 12 million pounds a year it costs to keep yeah, it's it in the cheap. air it's it's not a it's not a cheap thing uh and uh it's uh, i i don't know i mean have you had much experience with um the air ambulance nev uh, no, I'm pleased to say that I've, it's never been required for me so far. Uh, but uh, no, it's it's a they're a fascinating bunch of folks and so dedicated. And I say my my biggest surprise still is that the, the whole or nearly yeah. all of the air, air ambulance outfits are funded by charitable donations. Um, for me, it's an essential service. I agree. It should be government funded. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it, I think it's just, as you say, it's just crazy, really, that uh, that that isn't the the case, is it? It's um, yeah. It's I'm just trying to. Put, I've got a picture that uh, Mr. Warner has sent us, which I'm just trying to to get up on screen here now. Now, uh, regular listeners to the show will may remember that uh, Jonathan was uh, a witness to a pretty horrific. Uh, incident that took place at uh, Shoreham uh, a few years back now and actually the picture he's just sent me here um, is of uh, the Coast Guard rescue literally arriving now you know I mean, I'm sure everybody listening to this show knows what carnage was going on around you know the site there as you say and as Armando was saying you know putting these things down avoiding power lines and goodness knows what else to to try and get you in and out you know those who have been injured in and out as quickly as possible it's uh isn't it uh it's just astounding isn't it we as I say they, they don't get the, res- the respect that they deserve sometimes and that's yeah. that's pretty shocking isn't it there we go so Armando I've got some f-35 news uh, yeah, not just uh, F-35s. I know we've got a lot to get through in the next few minutes, so I'll just kind of uh, briefly touch on this one. This, uh, not just the F-35, the Air Force did announce that um, initially the F-35 fighter fleet was being grounded. Uh, this was due to a faulty component inside the ejection sheet, that in- ejection seat that could prevent the pilot from being able to safely egress the aircraft during an emergency. That was according to breaking defense. I had a, this comes from a couple different um, sources. 
Air, Air Combat Command uh, spokeswoman did confirm that temp- the temporary stand down of all ACC controlled F 35s. Um, now, this all began on July 19th, and they began what's called a TCTD, a Time Compliance Technical Directive, to inspect all of the cartridges inside the ejection seats within the next 90 days. Out of an abundance of caution, ACC. Uh, stood down all the units on July 29th to expedite the, the inspection process. Um, later that afternoon, a Air Education and Training Command, AETC, announced that it had also paused F-35 operations on June 29th to allow their logistics teams to analyze the issue and further inspect uh, the seats. Um, now, the issue here is actually these cartridge actuated devices, which are explosive cartridges inside the ejection seats that help propel the seat out of the aircraft during an emergency, as we know. According to the Air Force, certain production lots of these CADs used in Martin Baker ejection seats had been identified by the company as being defective and needing replacement. Um, Now, this also uh, ended up grounding uh, almost 300 training aircraft. So I think some of the uh, uh, T6s, some of the T38s were affected by this. The Navy separately acknowledged that it had grounded part of its fleet. I think some F-18s were affected by these Martin Baker seats. And over there in the UK, uh, the Red Arrows and some Typhoons were grounded. Oh, is that um, what the grounding was all of? I'd I'd heard the story about the Red Arrows having to sort of ground their fleet sort of immediately. I think they're back in the air now, aren't they? They did. They, yeah. they they canceled at the time. They canceled the the last show of Farnborough, the, right. the last scheduled show. I think later that evening they were back in the air and the Hawks uh, were were back up. Um, but this is effective. There was another story about Israel having to ground their F thirty five fleet. So uh, and you know a place like Israel doesn't doesn't really have the the luxury of grounding their their most technologically advanced fighter aircraft for very long. Um, so at least it was self-identified by Martin Baker, but this, I, I, I believe at the end of the day, affected uh, over 500 combat aircraft, combat and training aircraft uh, worldwide due to this uh, defective part. Perhaps uh, Martin Baker had run out of ties. so that, uh, <laughs> they Yeah, they wanted to make sure nobody, <laughs> nobody yeah. punched out. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, that, that kind of wraps up the military. And uh, Carlos, I think we're going to move on to uh, the next part of the show. Yeah, next part of the show, which is uh, our our competition. Or actually, our caption this competition uh, just for fun. It's uh, Well, it's no, there's no prizes for this, but you do, you do get the prize of us laughing at your comments. <laughs> and uh, on Wednesday, or, well, actually Tuesday, I put it on this week, I gave you all the chance to get a day in early. So on Tuesday this week, I posted a picture on our social media platform, Facebook, and on our P2K page, for you to all give your best and most wittiest comments on. And this week, again, it's been quite a... Uh, uh, an involved picture, I will say. And uh, um, Nev, for the benefit of our audio listeners, what uh, what did this week's picture um, show? I, I think the best way of describing it is, is a tail strike, uh, don't you? Um, <laughs> and uh, we were not short of people with creative thoughts and ideas. Some of them were a little bit rude, but uh, <laughs> we've had to keep some of them in because they were nearly all rude. So... <laughs> Uh, there we go so off you go Carlos let's uh, let's start yes so this week's first was from James who says 
skid marks in my JB Coopers. <laughs> uh, J- another James says, I told you to go slow. It was my first time. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. I'm on no. Uh, Michael says, if your jet exhibits this type of behavior, get it to the vet as soon as possible. It could be a sign of worms or other issues. <laughs> Stuart Thomas says, we're going to need a bigger honey truck, guys. <laughs> oh, I like that. As Simon says, maybe you shouldn't have given that guy in the back row that spare curry portion. Oh, no. <laughs> mm. uh, Chris says, I thought this uh, lesson was on a tail dragger. What do we do there? Jason says, see what happens when you pick a thread on some stitching, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> James uh, Grace Brown uh, uh, comes up with the classic, of course. It's just a scratch. It'll buff right out. <laughs> <laughs> and Dirk uh, comes in with breaking news. Aviation World baffled as first photo of Boeing's passenger to skydiving plane conversion <laughs> is leaked. I think that uh, would work really rather well. As, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, Stephen says, someone's in a whole lot of trouble. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. David says, heck of a tailwind. <laughs> dear Stuart Aslett says, uh, that's one heck of a skid mark. Oh, dear. Very true. Indeed. Uh, Mark uh, says, it was at this point that Bob was forced to admit that the Madras was a bad idea I'm, I'm, no, I'm noticing a, a theme on the curries yes. here, right? <laughs> oh uh, what's this next one? Oh, no. yes uh, <laughs> Stephen uh, says uh, when the APU takes a poo right <laughs> I mean it rhymes <laughs> no? uh, speaking okay. of rhymes John says there's a rat in, ga- in the galley what am I going to do there's a rat in the galley <laughs> Harking <laughs> back to a reggae song. Oh, there, I, I see. But, uh, Bill says Boeing illustrates its current state of quality assurance. What, what was that last <laughs> word? Quality assurance. And John says, due to the lack of baggage handlers, we'll be doing a go around to drop the luggage off first. Oh, right. Well, that's very, I mean, that's very efficient. Yeah. And lucky last. <laughs> Uh, Bill says uh, Boeing's first attempt at a rear loading straight in configuration for the 747 <laughs> was less than successful. <laughs> less than successful indeed, yes, absolutely. Yes, not, not oh, good dear. at all. Oh, uh, dear. I don't know if you're going to post them on there, but there's a couple of good ones in the chat room. Miles <laughs> says, Day after Taco Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I knew Neil would have to come out with a Captain Al classic. Right. Uh, Captain Al's curry had an explosive result. Oh dear. <laughs> um, oh. We have got a few in there. Anyone want to carry on with that Richard Adams one there, Nev? Uh, yes, uh, Richard says uh, Boeing's latest groundbreaking design didn't break ground. <laughs> I see. I see what he did there. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan says when she says she's ready to settle down. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm far too naive to understand any of that. Well, it's safe to oh. say. It's safe to say that that definitely sparked some conversation. Yeah, that, that's one word for it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like one of one of my cousins here is like, okay, I learned my lesson. They really ripped me a new one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my favourite. Actually, I like uh, that one. Pastor Pepto Bismol. <laughs> anyway, oh, oh dear. Anyway, yeah. 
Thank you for all the comments. Really appreciate it this week. Don't forget to check out our social media, Facebook. Uh, give us a like and follow if you don't already on Facebook and check out on Wednesdays when we'll put another picture up for you all to leave your witty comments on. So uh, what's next on the show? Now, it's uh, our, uh, our competition to win uh, an aircraft tag. One is from a commercial uh, jetliner and the other one is from a military uh, jetliner. Well, we set you a question each. One question was from Nev and the other question was from Armando. Now, Matt's got some pictures of the actual tags. You get the chance to win if your name is drawn out of the hat. We'll be doing this on next week's show and uh, next week's show will be my birthday show. So it'll be it's the birthday show for me next week. Uh, so we'll be drawing those names out of a hat next week so uh, nev uh, what uh, what was the question that you posed for our listeners as to this uh, particular tag uh, yes well this particular um british airways 747 uh, the, the registration of it was um, very appropriate for the civilian world <laughs> Yeah, so we're looking for the registration. It's got to be the exact registration, and you needed to listen to exactly what Nev said. Just, just one more time, Nev. What, what, what was that question again? Uh, the question is uh, on this uh, British Airways Boeing seven four seven four hundred. Sorry, is it a four hundred? Yes, it was a four hundred. Yes. Um, why is uh, what is the registration of this, and why is it particularly appropriate for a civilian airliner? answers in via email for that as well please uh, guys and girls don't don't uh, don't let, let it slip in the chat room uh, mate you've got a picture of the rear of that tag as well it's got quite an interesting back design on that tag as well actually um that uh, we're giving away there um there's also a military tag to give away on the show and uh, armando you've got the question for that uh, chance to win that tag yeah that's right the answers that have come in one person has all three portions correct. So the question is, in World War II, the same aircraft designation, i.e. a P-51, was assigned to two totally different platforms. One was built by Martin, the other one by Douglas. Which Douglas aircraft am I asking for? What group flew it? And from which RAF station in the UK? There we go. So that'll be your chance to win the VC-10 tag. Now, this VC-10 has got quite the history. Uh, this was uh, the VC-10 that was doing the ground runs at Bruntingthorpe at the Cold War Jets Day uh, before it was sadly scrapped. Uh, this is a limited cut of 200 of these they took from the aircraft. Uh, we've managed to grab lucky number seven. Uh, so tag number seven out of 200. And uh, this is cut from the fuselage of uh, zero, uh, Zulu Delta at 241, uh, which was uh, part of the Royal Air Force refueling team, VC-10. Uh, so your chance to win that. One last time, Armando, just in case anyone missed it, what is that question again? In World War II, the same aircraft designation was assigned to two different aircraft, such as a P-51. It was not a P-51. One was Martin, one was Douglas. Which Douglas aircraft am I asking for? What was its mission and what RAF station did it fly from? So to be in with a chance of winning, all we want you to do is send your answers in via email, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. There'll be more info on that at the end of the show. 
so good luck we'll be drawing that next week on the show out of the hats there'll be hats everywhere on the show next week <laughs> it'll be just like a sunday morning show for matt on park right. radio when he's pulling <laughs> names out of the hat moving on so, <laughs> uh, moving on to the next part of the show and armando you've got something special to show us here um well uh yes and no i we can also do this after the show it's just kind of a, a little bit of a you know, wrap up from, from the show. simulator. We missed training. the show last week. We can show it. Okay, Nev, are we good on time? Oh, yeah, I don't, sure. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, you know, have you come off the uh, the director's chair. <laughs> we actually, uh, hey, if you guys haven't noticed, we don't have a, a producer today, which is why we're going to just throw it all to the wind. And Anyway, so uh, simulator training was way harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, man, what a fire hose of information. I had an update that we sent out on the last show, but the, the way this goes is uh, for initial initial type rating. And, and, and I've heard you guys talk about type ratings. Here in the U.S. is a little bit different, right? So type ratings are only required for large aircraft and turbine aircraft. So anything over 12,500 pounds um, or, or a turbojet or something unique, um, it requires a type rating. I think that's different in EASA. You need to have a type rating or at least training in each uh, aircraft air or airframe. So here, type rating means large aircraft, turbojet aircraft. The way this goes, it's usually two to three weeks long. There is a, a week of ground school in which it is just a fire hose of information. They tell you all about the systems. They tell you about the operations, the avionics, uh, flight management systems. Oh, my gosh. There's just so much uh, to learn. And it's up to you to study in the evenings um, in order to be ready for the for the next day. But they don't actually cover this the material again until the test at the end of ground school. So it is entirely incumbent upon you to retain the information. After that, they prepare you for the ground simulators, uh, fixed base simulator. Uh, doesn't move, but it's got all the buttonology and all the switches. They're all touchscreens nowadays. Um, so you, from one simulator, Carlos, you would love to have one of these things. I would love to have one of these <laughs> things in my house. I sent you guys some pictures, right? I mean, it is all touchscreen, and you basically go through all of your flows, your, your procedures, your normal procedures, abnormal procedures, emergency procedures, before you hit the, the actual full motion simulator, then you go into this into the full motion sim. That's usually a week long or a little bit more, anywhere from five to seven or even ten simulator sessions. It uh, it it's just uh, and, and they start with normal operations, things that you already know, you know, normal instrument procedures, and and just flying the airplane, doing steep turns and stalls, things like that. Yep, you do stalls in a jet. Uh, then they start introducing abnormal situations, and then you usually have a high hot day. So something like flying a heavy out of Colorado, where it's a high density altitude, to give you a little bit of performance practice, like you were talking about earlier, Carlos. Then they start piling on the emergencies. So abnormals turn into emergencies. Uh, you have a, an entire day that's dedicated to icing operations and accumulation of ice and some of the performance considerations that you have to do through through icing. And then after all that, you have to do check ride prep. And then you got a check ride. And depending on your operation, whether you're a, a private owner, perhaps a charter operator, or even a large operator, uh, airline style, you your check ride may be internal to your company with one of one of your own check airmen. It could be 
a Czech airman provided by the training facility, or if you're lucky, you could have an FAA Czech airman. <laughs> um, it is, it is, it was just a fire hose of, of information. Three weeks goes by so fast. I thought I was going to have time to do podcast contributions and videos and all these things. Mm-mm-mm. It was eight to five all day long, come home for, for an hour of a mental break, study for two to three hours, and then just fall asleep on the couch in the hotel room uh, by nine o'clock at night to wake up and, and uh, yeah, Pip, you know, Pip's in the chat room. He's gone through this a couple of times. The Hawker specifically is a very mechanical airplane. Like he's saying that the thrust reversers, all of the systems are very mechanical and you have to know how they all operate. My brother at the same time was actually getting trained up on the global express. Um, oh. He's on the, and his is a very computerized, very automated airplane. My brother's been flying for almost 40 years and he had to transition into that kind of thinking where the airplane does almost everything for you. Um, yeah, it's, it was just crazy. Unfortunately, I wish I could have taken more videos, but uh, you know, it's all proprietary information for their, the way they train airplanes or not, but, but the way they train is proprietary. So they don't want that kind of recording getting out there, but whew, I am glad to be back. And yeah, flying the real airplane is easier. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to guess that you enjoyed the uh, practical side of the training as opposed to the uh, paperwork part. I did. To me, the flying was, was easy or <laughs> maybe not easy, but easier. <laughs> the amount of information that you have to retain uh, for a three-hour knowledge exam, the verbal, you know, face-to-face knowledge exam. And you, and in my case, I had to do it by myself where my sim partner wasn't able to sit in, in there with me because we had two different, he was a part 135 operator charter. I was a private operator. So our check ride consisted of different things that we had to do, but it was three hours of, of getting uh, scenario-driven hard questions on on airplane systems and operations yeah the flying was pretty easy to me well you've done it you've done it now time for time for a beer armando yeah oh my goodness yeah well done cheers thanks buddy yeah um so anyways uh maybe one day we'll be able to get in with one of these companies and, and talk about how this this kind of simulator training goes but it's it's real similar at the airlines if you're pursuing an airline path or if you're using you know going the the charter path Oh, just be ready for it. Don't try it. Don't don't try to do this with distractions in your life. Have your home life squared away. Right, Pip. Right, Armando. <laughs> <laughs> uncanny. And on Absolutely that, uncanny. And yeah. on that note, thank you for that, Armando. Um, I feel feel like you should possibly do a whole segment for uh, for our Patreon and PayPal donators just uh, <laughs> about the uh, the training. I think that'd be quite nice but um it's time to wrap up the show episode 421 of the show gonna say a big thanks um to all our people our uh chat room uh family this evening for joining us thanks for everyone who's joined us this evening in the youtube chat room and thanks as well to all the audio downloaders of the show as well thank you uh, for choosing to download the podcast as well don't forget uh, as well if you're downloading through itunes or spotify uh, or podbean you can leave us a review in there we very much appreciate that indeed if you have a spare uh, couple of minutes to leave us a review that'd be great and uh, 
yeah that is about it guys and girls for this week's show don't forget next week we'll be announcing the winner of our uh, plain tags uh, our two winners for the uh, two tags those answers again will be uh, uh, if you play back the show will be available to listen to again uh, on youtube and through uh, all the usual download audio platforms so uh, well that's it guys thanks to all the hosts as well thanks to nev armando and big thanks to matt as well for driving the p2k studios as well uh, this evening and uh, yeah any last words before we uh, finish them tonight guys uh, i'm off to uh, stockholm on monday for Ooh. a few days uh, followed by norwich uh, on thursday i know very much looking forward to that so that'll be a good one ah, yeah. yes Look forward to that. Absolutely. A little road trip. Very exciting. Armando, uh, any, any exciting flying going on for you this week? Uh, yeah, today. Uh, actually, as soon as about an hour after we finish the show, I head off to Hilton Head Island for an overnight, then fly up to Maine tomorrow. And then next week, Meg and I are taking a week-long vacation to California. <gasps> so we'll be in, oh. we'll be in L.A., uh, for the week, um, staying at a vineyard and then hopefully meeting up with some airplane buddies. Uh, <laughs> I always throw aviation in there. So, um, <laughs> I love, I well, love that quite. she loves it. Yeah. Just but, as well, uh, I think. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be on the show next week from, uh, wow. LA somewhere. Wonderful. That's Excellent. great news. Really pleased to hear that. Well, that's where we bring episode 421 to a close this week. Thanks again to everyone. Thanks to all the viewers and listeners. And uh, we'll be back again next Friday. So from me, Carlos, here in the home studio. From Matt, in the Master Suite studios. From Nev, in his glorious studios. And from Armando, uh, in his glorious studio as well. Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend and see you next Friday. Say goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.